Welcome to a special episode of View the Right Thing. This time around, Wes and Steve review their show's namesake with Spike Lee's Oscar-nominated 1989 breakout hit, Do the Right Thing. Thank God we got that cleared up. And now, now, from a living room in sunny Burbank, California, this is View the Right Thing. It's about time you found something to do to enrich your lives. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Indiana v- Jaws. Damn you. Of View the Right Thing. Oh, we did that that won the vote. Yeah, I haven't seen anybody um draw our mascot yet. Our mascot of a shark wearing a leather jacket and a fedora. I don't think he's in leather. I think he's just a fedora holding a bullwhip. Holding a bullwhip in his teeth. I think the leather jacket might be too much. We'll see. He could have the satchel. I wouldn't mind the satchel over okay. over his head and under one of the fins, maybe. All right. I'd be all right with that. So we're going to draw Indiana Jaws as the mascot for our podcast, View... The, the right, right thing. thing. Yeah, well, there's a motorcycle going by outside. Mm. So uh, we did... We're doing this special episode. That's right. A very special... Our titular episode. Yeah. It's titular. Titular. Yeah. This is our titular episode. So we decided that if we picked a title that had a movie reference in it, we would watch that movie or movies. Uh, fortunately, there was only one movie in the title that... Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about that movie, which is Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. That's right. It's a Spike Lee joint, if you Spike remember. Spike Lee joint from 1989. Yeah. So before we get going, I uh, just want to say thanks to Dwayne for doing another intro for us. You are fantastic. And we want to talk about something. We, uh, once a month, are going to pick a user submission. That's that right, users. At least one of us hasn't seen. I'd call them listeners. What did I say, user? You said users. Like Yeah, they just use this us isn't Tron. throw us away. It's Tron. We're this all, is Tron? We're all in the Matrix, man. Mm, okay, so we're not. I don't know if we are. So, listeners, we're going to take <clears throat> one listener submission. You can submit a list and we'll pick one. Uh, or you can just submit one, but if we've both seen it, it's not going to get in the Muppet Bucket. But we're going to add uh, a movie to the Muppet Bucket. So uh, the first one we're ever going to add in is someone you know. Yes, it was suggested by my friend Fillory. Fillory. The only one I know. The only Fillory. I've n- never heard that name before, so I guess. It's like Hillary, but with a P before the H. I think it was an F, wasn't it? Shh. Okay. I don't want creeps looking her up. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. So, the movie that we picked... Is the last... No, it's not the last anything. It's the first... Should I say it or do you want to say it? Do you remember what the movie is? I sure do. It's from 2010. It's got Casey Affleck. I almost said Affleck. It's got Casey Affleck in it? Pretty sure it was Casey Affleck when I just looked it up. I'm kind of interested in this movie. I I don't uh, know anything about it, so... It's got Casey Affleck, Jessica Alba, and Kate Hudson, and it's called The Killer Inside Me. Jessica Alba. Jay Alba. Interesting. Jay Alba. You don't I, see her very often these days. Well, I mean, she's bit, she's a mom, and she's this starting her own companies too. and all this stuff. Yeah, five years ago. Um, I didn't look up. When I looked it up, I did not double check to see if it's based on the book of the same name. Okay. But we'll find out. 
I have a feeling it is, but I won't say why. Okay. Fair enough. I have a feeling it's based on the book. Thanks to a lyric by the Dead Milkmen. All right. What should we talk about, Wes? Should we talk about Mookie and Sal's famous pizza? I think so. I don't think Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. We really uh, have much else to, to talk about. We just did a podcast last week. Have you seen a movie since then? Have I seen uh, like in the theater? No, yeah, I have. Not. I did. What'd you see? I went to a special screening with a Q and A of the end of the tour, starring Jason Siegel okay. and Jesse Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. Have you not heard of the end of the tour? Mm-mm. Oh wow! All oh right. oh wait, he's playing. He's uh, Jason Siegel. He gained some weight and like has long hair in it. Yeah, he's playing David Foster Wallace, author of Infinite Jest. Okay. Which was a hugely successful book. Um, it's funny. Uh, Siegel made this same joke at the Q and A. He, when he was preparing to be in the movie, he went and bought a copy of Infinite Jest, mm-hmm. and he says he took it up to the counter at the bookstore, and the the girl behind the counter, who was like kind of a punkish kind of you know, very twenty uh, something happening kind of girl. Looked at it and just rolled her eyes and went, every dude I've ever dated has an unread copy of Infinite Jest on his coffee table or something like that. That's and I funny. thought I thought that's a pretty funny story. But uh, So now that I've seen the movie and loved it, now I have to go read the book because I haven't read a book since I got a smartphone. Can you, can you shortly, with spoiler-free, summarize what the movie's about? The movie is about David Foster Wallace going around on his book tour. Um, to promote Infinite Jest and do signings and all that sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. the, the book just caught fire. Like, mm-hmm. just kablooey. Everybody was talking about it, talking about how brilliant it was. And so Jesse Eisenberg plays a different guy named David. He plays David Lipsky from Rolling Stone. And um, he hears about this, and he realizes, whoa, we're Rolling Stone. We cover music. We cover movies. When's the last time we covered a book? way too long ago mm-hmm. so he uh convinces you know his higher ups to send him along with wallace for the end of the tour to get an interview out of him spend a few days with him really see what makes this brilliant man who wrote this hugely successful book that's over a thousand pages that everybody is seems to be reading uh what makes this guy tick and they you know it's just a a lot of a lot of very funny stuff a lot of very touching stuff and it's just these two men Sort of going through this experience together. Hmm. It's a, uh, I was about to say it's a wild time. It's not exactly wild, but it's it's enjoyable. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, I look forward to seeing it at some point. Cool. And of course, there's Oscar buzz and all that sort of jazz sure. going around for it. Oscar buzz for Jason Siegel? Yeah. Wow, good for him. Possibly even Eisenberg. But I forget. He wasn't at the Q&A, so he didn't mention any eyes and any eyes and buzz he didn't mention any oscar buzz because he wasn't there to mention anything yeah what can you do and there are also two happy dogs running around in the movie they're they're a lot of fun i uh i spoke to jason siegel once you did yeah what I, did he say everybody won the peanut no i spoke to him at uh the muppet premiere oh cool the muppets yeah and uh that dude really um that re- that guy really cared about that movie really cared about Absolutely. the muppets um it was a labor of love for him and it was really important to him that the fans um that he did a, a service to the fans yeah. and to jim henson I'm going to go ahead and say he did uh, of course yeah that movie felt a lot like the original muppet movie yeah you feel the love in that movie yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. Did he have anything to do with Muppets Most Wanted? He did not, from what I understand. Well, Same director, touche. and Brett McKenzie came back and did music for it. But okay, but Jason Siegel wasn't uh, wasn't in on that one. Unfortunately, I think I think it suffered a little bit. Yeah, I think because of that, didn't quite have the same heart. But they're sort of mm. uh, at least it seems like maybe they're following a similar pattern. All right, uh, to the original releases. So you know, the original Muppet movie is about finding out your place in the world and like moving to Hollywood to make it in show business. Yeah. And that's kind of what's going on in in the Muppets. You know, Walter moves to Hollywood essentially right. to find his place. He doesn't really belong with Jason Siegel and, and Amy Adams. Yeah. He so, realizes he himself is a Muppet. Is a Muppet, yeah. And so he he goes and does that and has a really similar feel to that first film. And then the second uh of the original Muppet films was, is The Great Muppet Caper. That's right. Which is a heist movie and about stealing jewels. Yeah. And then we have Muppets Most Wanted, which also is a heist movie about stealing jewels. Right. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see a uh, a movie that takes place in New York next mm-hmm. with rats that run a diner. Muppets take... Manhattan was the original. Right. I was trying to come up with a different M uh, neighborhood. Oh, New a different York. M? Yeah. I don't know. Another M neighborhood in New York. There's got to be one. Right. New Yorkers, let us know. Yeah. Tweet at Stephen Nohowood or Movie Hippo. Let us know the other M neighborhood in New York. Let's talk about New York, specifically Brooklyn, Brooklyn. specifically Bed-Stuy. That's a pretty good segue. I agree. Muppets to Spike Lee. From Muppets to do the right thing. All right. So let's let's talk about sort of the, the episode and why, you know, it's important to us. Sure. So for, for me, at least, um, I, I felt like it was important because the film is important. So it's important for me to talk about it because I think the movie is important. But I also wanted to clarify something. All right. I love our new podcast name. Yeah. View the Right Thing. I think it's clever. Sure. I think it's a little funny. Yeah. And I think it represents pretty well what it is we're trying to do. We're trying to yeah. watch all those those movies that we're supposed to watch. Right. Agreed. But, but I, I want to also reassure people who are sensitive to film history, mm-hmm. as well as people sensitive to racial issues. I, I don't want to speak on behalf of both of us, but I have a feeling you're probably in the same boat, but I have a a reverence for this film. Sure. I I think it's important socially as well as for film history. We didn't choose the title of our podcast to poke fun at this film. Right. Not by any means. Or because we don't care about the film. Right. I love this movie. I've watched it probably once a year since I was like 10. Wow. That's a lot. Old man. Well, it came out when I was 10, and I like it. I'm going to revisit it. So I feel like I could say, pro- this I could probably say for both of us, that we're proud to have this reference in our show title. Yeah. So just wanted to clarify that and just kind of start out on the right foot and say, you know, we, we do revere this film as a piece of film history and as a, um, a cultural... Um, can't get it lost the word i don't want to say mm. phenomenon but it's cultural a milestone well it's a it has cultural importance and absolutely I, and, I, and i think it's important that we recognize that we understand that so this movie is 26 years old wow and i feel like it's just as important today as it was 26 years ago and you know maybe even more so now with, yeah with how many 
headlines we have regarding similar similar situations as the plot of this film. Right. I can fully agree with that. I think another difference between because of of what's going on in our, in our country right now with yeah. police and uh, race racial tensions, I think people more people are talking about race in America than they have since the Civil War. Right. I think you know obviously um, maybe not since the Civil War. Well, I mean the, but certainly the in the sixties, but I mean I think I think more people are vocally speaking about it maybe not behind closed doors necessarily i think in the in the 60s definitely uh people were talking about it behind closed doors and there was obviously a great civil rights movement right but it it wasn't they didn't have access to the media in the way that we have it now right so so i think it's much more prevalent now and i and i feel like it's more in people's minds than it ever has been all right So I don't want to get too into like a political or racial debate on the podcast, but you can't really discuss this movie without any, you can't discuss it in a serious way without uh, addressing the the sort of rampant inequalities that our country um, still has today. I mean, I bet if anybody can discuss it without doing that, we could, I mean, we could just, just go through the plot and call it the end of the day. But I think, I think it's important and most mostly responsible for us to talk about subtext and what it really means, and huh. uh, at least to us. Yeah, uh, that's All my right. take. All right. So, we're, in addition to the movie, we'll talk about uh, the effect that Spike Lee had, and and the movie All right. had on Hollywood as well, because I think that's really important. Because we do this podcast because we love movies, right? And that's probably why most people are listening is because they love movies. So I think think it's important to talk about how this film and Spike Lee have had a profound effect on Hollywood for the better. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yes, let's. Where do you want to start? Should we start with fighting the power? Sure. You fight the power. Well, I'm shouting. All right. If you've never seen Do the Right Thing, you're in for a treat because it opens with a one woman... uh, Dance video. Dance party, yeah. You've got the lovely Rosie Perez in maybe her first role. Definitely early oh, in I her career. Yeah. Uh, she was a fly girl for In Living Color right around when this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here she is uh, opening the film, dancing to Public Enemy's Fight the Power. Tremendous song. Comes up a lot in this movie. And I thought that was a pretty bold way to open a movie. You know, Now, nowadays... You go to a movie, you sit through 10 to 15 minutes of preview, and then the movie just starts. Right. But this is one of those movies that still exists in the uh, long opening credits yeah, almost, era. Yeah. Like they used to have like a an orchestra. Yeah. Like some of the movies we've watched have title really long opening credits. Maltese Falcons, good right. example. Or North, North by Northwest, I think, maybe yeah. had uh, quite a bit of opening credits. And then they get to the closing credits, and they just like run down the cast list, and Copyright. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is it? Willy Wonka. I think the closing credit scroll on that movie, on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, is like 40 seconds long. Like it's literally just the cast, and it's done. That's I thought awesome. that was pretty, pretty hilarious. So this movie... Being of the era of long opening credits, plays the entirety of Public Enemies Fight the Power, while Rosie Perez does a bunch of different dance moves in various outfits, 
And it sort of lets you know, I mean, fight the power. Yeah, the boxing outfit's my favorite. Sure. And it's like, you know, it's letting you know you're in for something. This isn't going to be a movie about a guy who just delivers pizzas all day. Right. Otherwise, we'd play, you know, I don't know, I Can't Drive 55. This is fight the power. Something's about to happen. Indeed. We go to Mr. Senor... Love Daddy. Love Daddy. The, played uh, by Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. He is a uh, uh, a radio DJ who mm-hmm. sits in a first floor radio studio with a big window looking out over the neighborhood. Plays a lot of great tracks. What does he call it? The, uh, the uh, not the discs. Playing the platters that the truly platters. matter. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he sort of opens the film, talks about how it's going to be a really hot day in bed sty talks about... Well, he's the first. You know, he's the first line in the movie, and it's probably the most one of the most important, if not the most important line of the which film. Which is that line? Wake up, wake up, yeah. Up you wake. Which is a message right. to the neighborhood, right? And you know, obviously, it's the beginning of the day, so it makes sense literally, but it's also kind of figurative for the whole film, and it's right. It's, turns out to be very very important and then he also in that same monologue says uh uh black is the color of the day so wear some black to absorb this heat yeah so that you've got heat to get you through the winter right which i don't think that's how it works <laughs> but i get you but then he says so then he says something else about like so wear some black uh to absorb some heat because the heat is going to rise it's going to rise up yep. and that right there is like yeah. Certainly a foreshadowing of the neighborhood uh, metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he talks about the yin and the yang in that opening sequence as well, which is yeah. also important. You're going to see that theme show up quite a bit. The movie's definitely got a thing, a, a love and hate motif going on. Well, for sure. And uh, and so that yin and yang thing comes up quite a bit. And I think the the comment, the funny comment about, you know, soak up all the heat is a subtle reference to hey man your heat may not be on in the winter no oh, yeah you know this, these are not these are not uh well-to-do people yeah in this neighborhood with the exception of a brief appearance of a guy from boston john savage that was that was john savage was john from savage. the deer hunter yeah oh, okay in a larry bird t-shirt in a larry bird t-shirt and he's really inconsequential we won't talk much about him when it comes up but when his scene comes up we'll just kind of ignore that but he he bought the brownstone that right. he's living he in. He owns a building in this movie. Right. Most of these other nice people are renting. Although yeah. I think Mama's sister, Sister Mama. She's a landlord. Yeah, she mentions that she's, she's she, got tenants. Yeah, so she maybe owns a building or maybe she works for somebody who owns a building. Yeah. So it's hard, it's hard to say because they don't really go into that very much. But she does mention yeah. um, being a landlady. Mama sister. It was mama sister, right? Sister mama, I think. It was sister mama sister, first? Sister, I'm looking it up. Sister I could have sworn it was mama sister. Sister mother. He's looking it up. I'm looking so it up. He, so he talks about the yin and yang, and it's, that's going to come up quite a bit. Uh, well, not specifically yin and yang, but sort of that balance is going to come up quite a bit. Spike Lee is introduced into the film, and he plays Mookie. Right. A young 20-something living in Brooklyn with his sister. Mother sister. Mother not sister. Mama sister. Mother sister. Mother sister. So he lives with his sister, and the first time that we see him, he's counting money. Right. And that's also 
very important because we, through the course of the film, learn that the thing that drives him more than anything else is money. Right. The one thing, the one goal he wants is to get money. The whole reason he's working is to get money. And the whole reason he's just trying to make it through the end of the day is to get money. Yeah. He works as a delivery man at a local pizzeria owned by Sal. Right. Sal is played by Danny Aiello. Sal has two grown sons working with them. Vito and Pino. Pino, yeah. Pino is oftenly openly racist. Oh, yeah. Uh, specifically towards blacks. Yeah, he's, uh, he's not a fan of Mookie at all. And uh, they get into the discussion about Eddie Murphy and Prince and... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Magic Johnson later, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, Pino. Vito, as you mentioned, is his younger brother. Right. And he seems to be kind of the polar opposite of Pino. And from the moment they appear on screen, they seem to be at odds with each other. Yeah. So much so that once they get into work and we, we've established these people, they wear opposite color shirts for almost the entire film. That's true, huh? Yep. So Pino, different from his father, who seems for the most part to be um, very lenient and open-minded and yeah. not really so much racist. Right. And uh, Vito, who also is not racist. Right. They both wear black shirts and Pino wears a white shirt almost the entire film. And That's when we get closer point. to the film, we'll, we'll bring up the change. And the film kind of bounces around the block to introduce us to various characters and giving us their states of mind. The local drunk is referred to as the mayor. Oh yeah, played by uh, Ozzy Davis. Yeah, Ozzy Davis. Ozzy Davis. It is Davis, right? Man, that guy. Yeah. I feel like that guy has only been old. I've only seen that man old. Wow. Yeah, I can't think of a time when I've ever seen footage of a young Ozzy Davis. Yeah. So the mayor is initially looked down on and kind of pitied by the viewer when you first see him. He's clearly in dirty clothes. His suit is threadbare like it's very tattered yeah uh, he shows up to the pizzeria and he's asking if there's any work and right. they give him he he picks up a broom and is like all you're gonna have the cleanest sidewalk in the whole neighborhood yeah and of course that's the job that nobody wants to do in, right in the film which i don't know why not now they do only pay him a dollar to do it yeah but which, that's the dollar that buys him a beer true i guess so so you kind of feel bad for this guy and you kind of pity him. But by the end of the film, your feelings about this guy are going to kind of change because he seems to be sort of the one or two voices of reason All right. in the film. And his first real scene on the block when he gets to the uh, we see him briefly in his bed. Uh, but when his first real scene and he gets to the, the pizza place, he says that he loves everybody. Right. Which is our another example of love early on in the film. They're trying to like love, love, love. Right. We love radio. I love everybody. So on. Right. Then we we meet the landlady, sister, mother, mother, sister. Yes. So, <laughs> Played by Ruby D. Rest in peace. So she pretty much watches the day mostly from her window. Yeah. She does venture out on the steps, and at the end of the film, she she walks out into the street, but. For most of the movies she's watching from her window, we meet Radio Rahim, 
he walks right. pretty much in circles around the block. That's what it seems like. I mean, you're just constantly seeing this guy walking around and interacting with different people. Right. But but this movie mostly takes place in like a couple block radius. Right. So, but he's a he's a respected member of the community. Everybody knows him. He carries a very large boombox. Yep. That requires twenty D batteries, and it's something that which he, is a lot of batteries. He, it is. Uh, it's something that he clearly spent money on because right. they refer to him as like living large, essentially, and it's technologically more advanced than any other stereo radio boombox that we see in the right. film. There's even a, a boombox battle at one point. There's a boombox battle. his clearly wins. And it's always playing public enemies fight the power. The entire film, anytime you see him fight the power is is being played. And that is incredibly important to the film. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about that at the very end of the film as well. Or at the end of this. Then there's a mentally disabled person named smiley oh yeah smiley who, he's the second person we see isn't he uh yeah we see him pretty early on i feel like it opens with the dj yeah and then the very next person we see is smiley with his uh with his pictures yeah. so <laughs> just to kind of go over why the order that i'm 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 telling it a little bit out of order just because i'm trying not to go over every detail like we have in some of our past podcasts just because i want to uh keep this to be as closer to a mini podcast as episode good possible. luck yeah i got a lot, says, got a lot, lot to, to talk, talk about. about in this movie yeah so there's some some plot things that i'll probably say a little bit out of order it doesn't really matter what order they happen sure. necessarily uh as that we just talk about that they happen so smiley attempts to sell a photo of martin luther king jr and malcolm x they're shaking hands and smiling in this photo yeah. um, he's colored it by hand like the borders and stuff and he tries to sell that thing to everyone he meets and he sells a couple. Yeah. It seems film. like he just walks around all day selling various pictures. Yeah. Because, you know, he runs into Mookie and Mookie's like, no, not that one. I want the other one. I'll give you two bucks for the other one. So yeah. maybe he's got a bunch of pictures from the civil rights movement that he just tries to sell to I actually got the feeling, make some kind of money. I actually got the feeling that they were all the same picture with, with different colors on them. Oh, interesting. And that Mookie was like kind of placating him a little bit to like yeah you have worth oh yeah you're an artist or or whatever it is um that you know not this one but the other one i I think i think that's what i got more out of i never saw a different photo true and the photo shows up in the end credits as well so i think i think it's the same photo so maybe he's just got like a hundred prints of that photo I think they were he like does different photo art stuff on too. it and then sells it. Yeah, I th- and right. I, I don't think they were like photograph photographs. I think they were like photocopies of a photograph too. Huh. So it's hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, they held up pretty well in that fire hydrant scene. That's true. But who knows if he maybe he went home and got more. Maybe. So moving on. A friend of Mookie's, Bugging Out. Yes. Played by Giancarlo Esposito. You say Giancarlo, not Giancarlo? Giancarlo. I would say Giancarlo. Okay, well, we'll arm wrestle for it. Okay, West one. He he comes into Sal's to order a slice of pizza, and Sal gives him kind of a hard time about cheese and how it costs extra. Yeah, a- adding extra cheese is more than the cost of a slice of pizza. Yeah, that was very alarming. I don't remember that from a kid, but yeah, the slice was a buck fifty, and he says extra cheese is two dollars. Right, that seems crazy. <clears throat> well, I think I think the idea is that. He's trying not to do, like, essentially special orders for anyone, except for one person who we meet later in the, the film, pretty much. Right. That would be Mookie's sister. I mean, we meet her briefly at the very beginning, but she comes into Sal's later, and we see that um, she's the one person Sal would 
would uh, make changes for. Yes, Sal definitely has an affinity for Mookie's sister, Jade. So, yeah, bugging out, goes to sit down to eat his piece of pizza, and he looks up at Sal's wall of fame. And he notices that all of the people on the wall of fame are yeah. white Italians. Right. And so he complains and Sinatra. demands... Travolta. De Niro's up De Niro, there. Pacino's Pacino. up there. Yeah. You get close-ups on all those guys. So Bugging Out demands that Sal add some people of color. He right. demands that there's some black people added to the wall. And Sal basically gives him the whole, it's my place. I can put what I want up there. You want black people on the wall? Go buy your own place. Fair enough. And they, they argue. And Sal kicks Bugging Out out. Well, he has Mookie do it, too. Yeah. He says, get your friend out of here. Yeah. And so Mookie goes out and kind of talks Bugging Out down a little bit. There was a really awesome shot at this point. Yeah, that goes through the door. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they follow them. Through the screen door. Inside the restaurant, out the screen door. The door closes, and we're still The camera them. moves through the through the screen door. It's pretty rad. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty great shot. I assume they remove the, They have somebody hiding down there to remove the screen. Well, yeah, maybe, but it seemed like it was. The, maybe they just were so zoomed in that. The screen wasn't The noticeable. screen just yeah. blurred out or something. Yeah, generally that would diffuse it. I mean, I think it would be noticeable in some way, but, huh. I, you know, maybe not. It, to me, it felt like the camera actually went through. Yeah. Physically went through that opening of the window. But either way, it was a really great shot. It's really great that you point that out. It was great. And then they even come back from it as well. Yes, they do. And the Which screen's back. Wild. That's right. Hmm. Well, they cut away. Sparkly. They actually cut away before you see this the screen. Oh, you Before they come so, back. Huh? Yeah. Huh. I feel like the screen was definitely there. Well, we can go back and watch it sometime. In a year, we'll go back and watch it and check All right, it. all right. So, out on delivery throughout the day, Mookie has several different important encounters. Yes. One, uh, I think the earliest one, has him stopped by the mayor. The mayor, yes. Yeah. Who tells Mookie he has to tell him something very important. Yeah. And he tells Mookie... Always do the right thing. Do the right thing. And I actually thought there was something really... There was a lot being said in that moment. Because Mookie, Mm -hmm. he's very much his own guy. Uh, The first thing he does when he walks out of his apartment in the morning is these people come up trying to, like, give him information about something. And he's just like, no way in hell! And just storms on past him. But then walking down the street, he just hears the mayor from off to the side just say, Mookie kind of not loudly at all right. and he knows he's got to stop and talk to the mayor right and and i feel like that says a lot about who the mayor is and mookie's respect for him as well because uh, mookie's clearly he's shown like ah i'm not gonna put up with any of this nonsense but he stops dead in his tracks for the mayor right and there's a couple times where the mayor talks to a younger person and and sort of gives them uh, advice or some some sort of sage wisdom. Yeah. Uh, one time is he's talking to a guy who's calling him a drunk or a hobo, and he and he kind of lets loose on the kid a little bit and says, "You know, you don't know my life. You well, don't you don't know what it's four like." Four kids. Four kids, but it's, one in in particular yeah. is sort of harassing him. But and he's he's like, "You don't know what it's like to watch, not even be able to give your children bread to eat and watch right. them." go hungry and stuff so there's so that's one encounter but this other encounter is with mookie where he tells him to always do the right thing and he gives him this sort of fatherly advice right and i think that's important because mookie 
isn't really a grown up at this point in the film. He's an adult. He's a father. He's a father, but he's not around for that kid. Right. He's, he, the, his his girlfriend, who's taking care of the baby, yeah, Tina hasn't seen him in four days. Right. So, you know, he's not he's not really taking care of the things that he needs to take care of. So he's he's an adult, but he's not really a grown up. Yeah, he's not exactly a man yet. And I think and I think that's one of the reasons why we see the the mayor give him this piece of advice. Huh. All right. So Mookie writes it off initially, the whole do the right thing. He just kind of rolls his eyes and moves on. But by the end of the film, we're going to see Mookie try to stand up and take that advice hmm. in a way. Uh, it doesn't go super well, but we'll, we'll get there. Part and of me wonders, has anybody in this movie done the right thing? Well, I think the mayor does. The mayor does for sure, but there's it's almost it, like everybody's antagonizing everybody in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I think at times people everybody sort of does the right thing. Yeah. At some point. I sure hope so. But then there's just so much there's so much just like breaking each other's balls. Yeah. And just giving each other a hard time about this, that, and the other thing. Sure. And, and you know, for the most part it's harmless, you know. It, it never gets violent. Let's put but it, uh, but it's just like like everybody's just digging at each other nonstop. So let's put it this way: I think everybody tries to do the right thing as they understand it. Yeah, and I'll and I'll I'll ex- I'll spend on that at the end. I don't want to like jump to the end of the plot too early. Okay, but yeah, I think I think people are trying to do the right thing the whole film, but their version of what doing the right thing is is. Is different. Hmm. For example, I'll, I'll give you one example. Pino, who's almost completely an unlikable character the whole film, yeah, has a conversation with his father about leaving this this the neighborhood. Right. We should we should go open a place in our neighborhood right. where we have our people. And we're not around these people because these people are animals. Now he's we know that he's not doing the right thing, but in right. his mind, hmm. he's trying to say. This is the right thing for us to do because these people don't don't want us here. Huh. So I think I think the characters do try to do the right thing, but it's on it's their perception of what the right thing is. All right. Never so thought about it that way. On another encounter, Mookie meets up with Rahim. Yeah, Radio Rahim. Radio Rahim with his giant boombox and brass these brass knuckle type rings. Right. That have words on them. The words are on the right hand is love, mm-hmm. and on the left hand is hate. So we have this love hate battle motif, this yin and yang thing going on again. Yeah, and he he delivers this whole speech like right at the camera um, about how powerful hate is, right? And how hate can just beat you down, but love always has the ability right. to come back and beat out hate. And again going to be important later there's a lot that's sure. like they they drop a lot of hints and they drop a lot of information that is going to be important later on back at the restaurant mookie and pino who don't like each other no have a an interesting discussion about race because pino drops the end bomb right and mookie's like come over here and they, they go lean on the cigarette machine he's like come talk to me and, they, and he says he put mookie basically points out this double standard that Pino has. Yeah. And he's like, who's your favorite basketball player? And he's like, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite actor? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite singer? 
And he's so Mookie answers for him and says it's Prince. Yeah. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. It's Bruce. It's Bruce it's Springsteen. Bruce. It's definitely Bruce. And then ultimately by the end of the conversation, you understand that Mookie's right. It is Prince. Right. And he's like, well, why aren't they the, you know, the N word? Yeah. And he says they're more than black. So they don't count. This idea that because they don't live in the neighborhood, right? Because they've gone out and done something that's, you know, easily attainable by white people. What he's saying is they're rich and famous. So well, and that and that they've risen to the standard of of white people, and so they're more than black. Pino's saying that. Pino, not Mookie, not us, (laughs) not us. Absolutely not. We are quoting the movie here. So then Mookie gets called over at during this discussion at the tail end of this discussion. Yeah. Because there's another delivery and he looks at the at the address and he's like, Are you sure you got the right address? Because sometimes you send me to the wrong address and the guy's like, ah Sal's so like, of course I gave you the right address. Mookie recognizes this address and when he arrives, the door opens and we find it is his girlfriend, Tina. Tina played by Rosie Perez. Yeah. And also the mother of his son, of course. Right. And she feels like this is the only way she's going to be able to see Mookie because she hasn't seen him in days. And he keeps like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'll come around. I'll come around. I'm so busy. I'm trying to earn money. As he keeps telling her, I'm trying to earn money. I'm earning money. That's why I'm gone so much. Right. And he does work the whole day. He works into the night. They have this kind of like sweet and intimate scene with each other. You know, first he's like. Let's do the nasty. He's trying to get some. Is what he says. Let's do the nasty. And she's like, no, it's too hot. Right. And if I do that, you're going to leave and you're not going to come back for days. I won't see you for days. And so ultimately she doesn't give in. And he's like, you trust me. Right. And she's like, trusting you is how we got a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Last time I trusted you, we wound up with a kid. So he gets her to take her clothes off. Yeah. And he goes to the icebox. And he sees his son for the first time, that we see him see the son for the first time in the film. Right. And he kisses the kid on the head. And he gets uh, some ice cube trays. And then we see him rub ice cubes, like, on her forehead and her shoulder, like, kind of all over her body in different yeah. places. We see all these different shots. And it's sexual, but it's not salacious. It's right. It's actually a very sweet and kind of tender scene where he's, like... Thank God for the kneecaps. Thank right. God for the elbows. For you the know, nipples, for the thighs. For yeah. The, and for the lips. And he's he's taking care of, of this woman. And he doesn't he he doesn't push it further on to sex, where I think typically in a scene like that, that's probably where this goes, but he doesn't. And Agreed. The the way it sort of ends is this really nice close up of both of their lips both of their mouths oh, and they're yeah. talking to each other. Right. Yeah. And we pretty much just see their noses and mouths. Yeah. And it's like very, very softly lit. And, um, I think it's the first sign that Mookie is growing up mm. and that he promises to come back. Yeah. Later. So Mookie goes back to work. He's finally about to get paid at the end of the, the right. evening. And he's going to go home. And these four young people that we see throughout the film earlier, they show up and they ask to be let in for some pizza. And Sal and Mookie's like, no, 
We're closed. I need my money. Right. I want to go home. And Sal gives in and lets them come in. And while they're waiting, Buggin' Out shows back up. Yep. And he has recruited Radio Rahim and Smiley to his like boycott Sal's thing. Yeah. And they show up at the end of the night and they demand that Sal add black people to the wall and they're they're yelling and screaming and the radio he is up on the counter and he it's blaring fight the power fight the power fight the power. Yeah. So I want to go back to the love hate motif. All right. Hate has all the power in this film. You're talking about how people are breaking balls of people constantly in this and they're everybody's on edge and it's really really hot and even though the the DJ Sam Jackson is like trying to feed us love and the mayor is trying to feed us love he yeah. he has a, maybe a thing for mother sister oh he absolutely does and he uh he at one point rescues a kid from getting hit by a car there's a That's lot of love true. going on and then that kid's mom smacks the hell out of him. But and and that's important that yeah. I, I think. And I was gonna come back to that in a little bit. But but let's talk about it now. So he he rescues this kid from getting hit by a car, and the mom smacks the crap out of him. He's like, "Don't you don't have to beat your son." And she's like, "Don't tell me how to raise my kid." And she gets mad at him, right? Yeah. Hate is everywhere in this film. Pino hates black people. Sal hates young people. It seems most of the neighborhood hates Radio Raheem's music. Yeah, but they love him. Right. They hate the heat. They, they hate the heat. don't like the cops. They hate the cops. There's a really interesting, there's two slow motion scenes. Yeah. Or uh, shots in the movie. And one is when police roll by in their car and they're looking at. Uh, Sweet the, Dick Willie. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Coconut, Coconut Jim, I think. Yeah. And, and one, other, one other guy. And they're all, they're both groups are eyeing each other. Yeah. With just complete and utter hate and disdain. And both utter the words what a waste yeah and the uh, the other slow motion shot is when jade comes to visit sal and sal's like oh i'll give you i'll make you something special and all of a sudden he's like a completely different human being right he's a super nice well i mean he's been a pretty nice guy but he, it's clear it's that, very different that he is he's gaga che- for jade he's chewing out uh um Mookie. Mookie Pino, in the scene Pico. right before. Yeah. And talking about, I'm on my last nerve with you. This You're going to, I'm going to fire you, essentially, was what he implies. Then Jade shows up and Jade's like, how's my brother doing? He's like, oh, he's fantastic. Right. It's like a very different thing when Jade's there because he clearly has eyes for Jade. Right. And um, so the other slow motion scene is, or moment is Mookie and Pino. Right see what's going on with Sal and Jade. Right. And they don't like it. Yeah, Mookie's basically glaring at him like, oh, this guy's trying to get on my sister. Yeah. Pino's glaring at him like, oh, that's why he's so nice to Mookie because he's trying to get on his sister. Right. They're both upset. And I think Pino doesn't like the idea of mixing races. and Probably not. Yeah, so so hate is, hate is all over this film. And I think that Hate has all of the power, and love has very, very little power in this mm. film. And so this radio is going, fight the power, fight the power, fight the power. And they don't. No. And they give in to the power. The cave, every one of them. Sal picks up a bat from behind the counter and just obliterates this awesome 80s Chrome jukebox. And black and- <laughs> yeah. It's got, um, it's got uh, you know, what's it called? Graphic e- equalizer on it mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, just smashes Radio Rahim's boombox 
to bits. Yep. Radio Rahim. He grabs Sal and yanks a grown man over a pizza counter and oh, throws the him counter. on the floor. And they and just starts they just start beating on each other and and at this point, yeah. Because they were going to leave for the night, Pino has put his other shirt back on right over his tank top and now Pino, Vito and Sal are all wearing black shirts. They are united for the first time in this film. I thought Sal was wearing kind of more like a Hawaiian multicolor shirt. Uh, I remember that. Well, he was wearing he was wearing like, black. He was wearing black. No, he was wearing. Man, I don't know. That's a good question. I remember it had like cactuses and like I know what, pink Cadillacs. I know at the end he is. Um, that's a good point. Okay, so maybe it's the black point is with all these little graphics. Yeah, over it, it. yeah. Maybe that's what's maybe that's what's up. But the, well, the point was yeah that you had these two brothers or the brother and the father who were wearing black this entire film. Yeah. And Pino was sort of going against the grain. And then at the end of the film, Pino puts the shirt on and they become united in trying to pull Sal and Raheem apart. Yeah. And ultimately watching what happens to the finale, the climax of this film. True. The fight gets thrown outside right. onto the sidewalk, and the whole neighborhood's like, fight, fight. And so As everybody comes running. Too. The kids come running. Mother's sister comes out of her house. The Asian people who who own the new corner grocery come they're out. They're Korean. Um, yeah. They're Korean. That's correct. Yeah. That's another interesting point. Yeah. In this movie, a lot of it is about these two businesses in what is essentially a black and Puerto Rican neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But the two businesses are white, white. Italian-owned and Korean-owned. And, Korean. and like Sweet Dick Willie and Coconut Jim, do, they are really upset with the fact that somebody was able to come over from Korea and, and within start a, a year start a business yeah. in their neighborhood when it seems like none of them are able to get a business started. Right. And, uh, you know... I mean that goes on all over the place, but there is a little bit of reconciliation with the with the Koreans at the end. Yeah, um, a little. So, bit. so this fight starts happening out on the sidewalk, and everybody comes running to like check it out, and people are trying to pull them away. And Rahim is on top of Sal, choking the life out of him. Yeah, and I get the feeling he's not going to stop until Sal's dead. Maybe the police show up and they pull Rahim Radio Rahim away. By use of a nightstick around his throat. Yeah. Fully lifting him off the ground, where his feet are off the ground. And despite a fellow officer warning the, the cop that's strangling him to let up, right. Rahim is killed in front of everyone. Yeah. And the, the cops arrest Buggin' Out, put him in a car. They grab Rahim's body and throw that in the back of a car. Right. It's very clear he's dead. His eyes are wide open. Right. And they drive away, leaving... Pretty much everyone just shocked and beaten. Sal is shocked. The, his sons are shocked. Mookie's in disbelief. Right. And their friend from the neighborhood is now dead. Right. The, everyone. Right knew. in front of their eyes. So the onlookers are pissed at Sal. Mm-hmm. And they feel like it's all his fault. He's not from the neighborhood. He was fighting with a guy that is from the neighborhood. He had been kind of giving people a hard time. Throughout the day. Yeah. And they knew this because 
bugging out had been approaching everyone saying he gave me a hard time i want to boycott it help me boycott and then nobody really wants to yeah do that. everybody was like i love sales pizza i'm not gonna boycott sales pizza but so at this point everyone knows that he's been giving people a hard time in the neighborhood so they look at mookie and mookie is clearly at a loss for a few moments he, right he's got his hand over his face and he's rubbing his head and and Everybody's this is mad at the guy who puts money in his pocket yep and this is where he does the right thing. Hmm. Kind of. Well, he does what he thinks is the he right thing. He does what he thinks is the right thing, and he backs the neighborhood. So, Well, backing the neighborhood is the right thing. His actions... His actions, the way he backs the neighborhood... Is the wrong thing. Right. So he goes over and grabs a garbage can. And he destroys the one thing... That's giving him his happiness in the film. Yeah. The one route to money. The one thing he says the whole time. I got to do this. I got to earn the money. I have to do this. This is his focus the whole film. Right. The whole reason he stayed so late at work was to get get paid. Yep. And he takes a garbage can and throws it into the window of the South pizza place. Pizzeria. While shouting, hate. Right. He shouts hate and whips the garbage can right. into the window. And a very small riot ensues. Right. And I think I think that's another symbol of him growing up as well, mm. because he makes a decision despite what his is his own sort of selfish self interest. All right, you know he he wants this money and he makes a decision to sort of burn that bridge, so to speak. The rest of the neighborhood goes nuts. Yeah. So they 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 start trashing the place, ripping things off walls, stealing money out of the register. Dump th- out all the soda. Dump out the soda. Yeah, I was sad. All that soda. All that cream soda. Dump it all out. They throw rocks through the other windows. And Smiley comes in, lights a match, and sets the place on fire. Yup. Now, when the police and fire department show up, the mob is fairly... They're loud. Yeah. They look aggressive, but they're not doing anything aggressive at that point. They're not fighting anyone else. They're not fighting the police. Right. They don't throw rocks at anyone. They're kind of just standing around. They're just standing there yelling. Yeah. And watching the fire and, like, being happy with their work. Yet, they have – the police have the fire department turn the fire hoses on the crowd. Right. Well, the – what was it? They they start putting the fire out on – that's happening in the building. Yep. And then there's a guy with a bullhorn. He's like, everybody go back to your homes, blah, blah, blah. Please get back to your homes. And then he's like, last warning. Yep. Everybody get back to your homes now. And then, you know, and what, they're li- and a they- second later, he's like, that that was your chance. And the fire firemen just turned the hose on the crowd. And they make a point of saying, this is our home. Yeah, that's You're standing true. at our home. Right. So they're at their homes. And, yeah, they turn the fire hoses on the crowds. All too easily. Yeah. Eventually, the streets are left with crying people and debris and garbage everywhere, like crushed paper cups and yeah. papers and stuff. And people are crying. Mother sister's, Mother sister's crying. No, no, no episode. She has her no, 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 because the hate won. Right. But a mother sister was also the one who shouted, burn it down. Yeah, she did. Right before... Uh, she, I think she, even she, before Mookie threw the garbage can. Yeah, she succumbed to it, too. Yeah. Sort of the the only person who didn't 
Most probably the mayor. The mayor. Hmm. And Samuel L. Jackson's uh, love daddy. Right. Because he's just watching the whole thing from his radio booth. Yeah. So they didn't didn't fight the power. Right. The hate won. And Mookie and his sister end up sitting on a curb in disbelief. And Sal and his boys are, they put them kind of behind a fence to kind of just stay back. Right. Don't get hurt. The mayor stays with them even though Pino's throwing the N-word around. Right. And with the fire almost out, Smiley goes back into Sal's and he pins the picture of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X on the wall. Right. They're finally on the wall. Pins it up with the with Sal's wall of fame. The next day, Mookie shows up and he demands his pay from Sal. Right. What balls? Huge balls. Yeah, wakes up first thing in the morning. He's like, I got to go to Sal's. I got to get paid. Yeah. And walks out. Of his girlfriend's bedroom. And yeah. she's like, you, if you go to Sal's, you're never coming back. <laughs> so My Rosie Perez impression isn't that strong. No, it's I'll not, admit. but it's funny. So he goes to get money from Sal. Because after all, if they closed like he suggested, none yeah, of this would have happened. That's true. And if Sal hadn't smashed Radio Rahim's... I mean, Rahim put the boombox on the counter. And raised the volume. And said, why don't you turn it off? Yeah. Sal had every right to just reach over and hit the power button. Right. And not smash it with a baseball. Ball. And everybody's yelling yeah. in, in the room, and they're all yelling over the volume of the music, and they're yeah. yelling at each other. And but then for the first time in the movie, Sal also throws around the N-word. He drops the N-bomb, yeah. And smashes the radio. Right. And so uh, had everything goes wrong. Had they listened to Mookie and just closed, this wouldn't happen. So I think Mookie feels like he's owed his week's pay. Yeah. So he goes to get his two hundred fifty dollars. Um, they have an argument, and Sal throws five hundred dollars at him. Right. And he kind of does this out of spite and anger. And they, Mookie's like, "Here's two hundred of it back. I owe you fifty dollars. Right. I don't want this." And he throws it back on the ground. And they both just like have this standoff, and they just kind of look at the money and they look at each other, and then they realize kind of how stupid they're being. Mm-hmm. And Sal sort of breaks the tension with, it's going to be another hot day. Yeah. And then, of course, Mookie picks up the $200. And, he does, doesn't he? And, and takes it back to Tina. Classic Mookie. So Senior Love Daddy closes out the movie by dedicating a song to Radio Rahim. And at the end, we see a quote from both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X followed by Smiley's photo of the two men shaking right. hands, and that's that's the end of the film. There you have it. So you've seen this movie before. Yeah, I saw it when I was a real little kid when it first started showing up on HBO. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I sat through it a bunch of times because I was a huge Public Enemy fan. Okay. As a small child, and so... Interesting. You know, and so that certainly helped me get into the movie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'd I'd watch it and I'd enjoy it. I almost thought it was more of a comedy as a kid, you know, because it's like there's like people breaking balls all over the place. I'm like, ah, this is funny. Everybody's got all these funny insults for each other and stuff. And then obviously by the end of the movie, I was like, whoa, that took a turn that I did not see. And right. actually uh, a lot of bad stuff wound up happening. Yeah. And it's it, you know, it's interesting to go <laughs> to watch a movie that's 26 years old. And then that we haven't learned from at all no. as a collective nation, right? <laughs> and <laughs> it's, and 
you know, the constant headlines of the police going too far. Yeah. Um, you know, just racism in general in America and the struggle for black people specifically right now to find a voice and, you know, the whole black lives matter and like be able to say, be able to say that, yeah, you know, in unison and loudly. So going back and watching this film again now is, it was a really interesting experience. Yeah. You know, I was, I was up early this morning kind of worrying about the podcast kind of going, Were you? yeah, it's like, you know, I know that this is an important topic and it's an important film and I don't, you know, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of the same stuff that's going on. Um, Eric Garner, for example. Right. I remember the first posting I ever saw about the Eric Garner story was uh, my buddy Mark had put up mm-hmm. a, a picture of it when it, when the news of that started going around. And his comment, you know, above the, the shared uh, uh, post about it was Radio Rahim. Yeah. With three, uh, you know, with three exclamation points. And uh, I was like, oh, man, what's this about? And then I read it and I was like, you know, well, when did yeah. that happen? Like middle 2014 and, and the news of it came out quite a bit later and. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, have we learned nothing? And the answer is kind of no. Kind of no. And yeah. I think I think part of it is also the fact that, like, you know, this kind of crap's been going down forever. Sure. But now, like, I remember a lot of people saying, like, oh, thank God 2014's over. So, like, all these, you know, all these wimps can stop complaining about this and that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 2014 isn't the year that all the wimps decided to complain about things. It's the year that everybody started saying we are really fed up. Right. Again. Yeah. You know, there was, there were, you know, the civil rights movements in the sixties and the Watts riots. Mm -hmm. And then there was the LA riots in the nineties. And it's like, you know, fortunately, thanks to the internet, more and more of this stuff can be brought to light. Mm -hmm. But as a result of more and more of it being brought to light, we're also saying, oh, crap, there's still so much of this garbage going on. Yeah. And so I feel like 2014 was the year that everybody was just like, enough. Like, we're never going to stop talking about it as long as it keeps happening. Because if we stop talking about it, it's all going to keep happening. Right. It's crazy, that 2014. And now here we are halfway through 2015. And I don't know, wasn't More. there just like a couple of incidents like within the last month? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, was there was that bit a I couple mean, of like LAPD a couple months ago. The sad thing is that there's there's stuff every month. Yeah. You know, every I week. Mean, so, you know, there's there's very clearly a call to um, acknowledge acknowledge these. Yeah. The things that are going on right now. And I think, I think, uh, again, like I said at the beginning, I think more so now than, you know, any time in recent history. Yeah. We have the ability to spread a message because of social media and the internet in a way that hasn't been able to do, that been, been, be done before. So, um, but this movie is, like I said, very, um, poignant. Yeah. Even though it's 26, made 26 years ago. Yeah, so if you have not watched it yet, you better sit down and watch Do the Right Thing. I, I hope you watched it because we just talked about it. Right. 
<laughs> but you know, there's still plenty that you know that we didn't mention that happens in the movie. Sure, yeah. Um, we did like the hydrant, the fire hydrant. Sure, the police hit. show up in the fire for the yeah. fire hydrant scene. The but guy, the Boston guy. What's funny about that is okay. So the fire hydrant scene is it's a hot day in New York City and in a lot of cities when it's a hot day. Kids will bust open a fire hydrant and yeah. spray water all over the place and dance around and get cooled off. So these kids are doing that. This guy pulls up in a nice convertible Cadillac. It's an antique. From like the 60s. But rather than just kind of wait or maybe just say, hey, you guys, can I drive by real quick? He's instantly like. Aggressive. Like, yeah, you better not spray this car. This car's an antique. You better not effing spray this car, damn it. And they're like, oh, no, you'll be fine. Which was nice of them to say, but then as soon as he drives within range, they spray it. And it's right. like, if they had... But then when the cops show up for that, they're almost more on the neighborhood side. Yeah, Because cop- this guy's being such a jerk that they're they're almost more like, oh, sure, who are they? Where are the kids that did it? Point them out. Because right. they know the kids ran off. Right, and I think... And they're giving th- him a hard time. I think that, so. that goes with all of the characters in this film, including the cops. The cops aren't just bad guys. In this, the cops aren't bad guys in this film. They sure. do something bad right. in the film. One of them does. But, you know, just like in, in reality, when some bad cops do something bad, right. doesn't mean that all cops do things that are bad. Certainly not. I've met plenty of good cops. I right. Say. So, you know, this film, and uh, you know, uh, that's kind of the next thing I was going to talk about is sort of the beauty of the film, contrary to a lot of Spike Lee's modern stuff. Yeah. Um, it's very, very fair in its indictment of the characters. Yeah. All of the races are treated equally in this. That's true. Um, and, and how they're how they're seen. Yeah. And how they, they have that uh, sort of monologue montage where like Mookie goes on a rant about uh, whites and Italians, and then it cuts to Pino going on a mm-hmm. rant about blacks. And then um, the Puerto Rican guy goes on a rant about the Korean guy, and the Korean guy goes on a rant about, I think, uh, what does the Korean Jews. Guy I think mean? he says Jews. He goes on a rant about Jews, and then there's another guy. Is it one of the cops that goes on a rant about? He, uh, I forget. Puerto Ricans. He goes on a rant. Somebody about does, Puerto yeah, Ricans, that's right. Okay, the cop, the cop that that kills Radio yeah. Raheem, um he's ranting about the Puerto Rican guys. Yeah, and uh, so basically, the movie and the the characters are equal opportunity offenders, I guess you could say. And and the interesting thing about that scene is that it ends with Senior Love Daddy, and his rant is about peace. That's true. His rant is to stop right. all of this nonsense and talk about peace. Right. So, going sort of going back to how these characters are all seen fairly equally, it, there's a, definitely this whole battle between love and hate and how one block in Brooklyn can kind of represent America. Yeah. And some places, of course, seem less racist, although they probably aren't. Hmm. And some seem more racist. But the intent is, I think, to show how this melting pot of America can bubble over right really easily. And I think that's the sort of, obviously there's a literal heat in the film, but also this figurative heat that that causes us to bubble over. And sometimes we do the right thing in the wrong way. Kind of like what, what, what Mookie does. Yeah. he, He does the right thing in the wrong way. And, um, you know, he we get to see him go to a crossroad and to 
and watch him choose what he thinks is the right thing at the cost of, of what makes him the most happy. Right. And I think that strikes a lot of chords with people. I think it's really easy to see yourself in bits and pieces of these characters, both characters that do good things and characters that do bad things right. in the film or not necessarily bad things, but you know, not great things. Um, the way maybe people talk to each other or spraying down that guy's car or, right. or, or whatever. They're not the right thing, but they're not also evil either. So it's easy to see, you know, when I was a kid, I got dared to, uh, to kick a, a light and somebody's like Christmas display. Okay. I did it. Oh, I, I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> kick out a light in a Christmas display. Yeah. They had like these milk cartons over these lights and somebody was like, go kick it. And so I kicked it. Yeah. I'm not going to say who, who told me to do it. Um, but he's dead now. No, no, not dead. Oh. And I guess my point is we all do dumb stuff. Sure. We all do things that we regret. Like spraying that guy's car. <laughs> Man, know, I have a, very funny story that's very Are poignant for this now that I think about willing it. Willing to tell it? Sure. Okay, go for the, it. The statute of limit the statute. The statute of limitations passed over about twice. Let's just say when I was about twelve years old, there was a bit of a uh, prank call scandal in the neighborhood one day. And on that day, the police were in my living room. I think my parents weren't home at the time. It was late in the afternoon. The police are in my living room talking about, yeah, we're pretty sure we know it was you and blah, blah, blah. And as this is happening on my TV, the L.A. riots are starting on CNN. Wow. My brother and I were chilling at home because, like I said, we both grew up really into hip hop. So we were very like paying attention to the news around that whole thing. And I'm in my living room getting chewed out the pol- chewed out by the police and the L.A. riots are just starting on television and I'm just, my brother and I are just looking at each other like, what the heck is this about? Weird way, weird way to spend an afternoon, let me tell you. Yeah. Let me tell you. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the, the film and sort of the impact that it had as well and sort of what it was known for. All right. So the movie was nominated for an Academy Award. It was. It was for Best Screenplay, but it lost. Interesting. What did it lose to? It, it lost to Dead Poets Society. Oh, Dead Poets Society. Now, when you think about both of those films, there's a very clear contrast between those two films. Absolutely. They're very, very different. Um, but they're both kind of, in their own way, coming-of-age films. Sure. Um, really, really clear coming-of-age film for Dead Poets Society, but it's also for Mookie, as we've talked about. It's, you know, he's an adult, but he's not a grown-up. And we watch him sort of make some decisions that sort of solidify this idea of what he needs to do right wow lost to dead poet society speaking of screenplay mm-hmm. i've often thought this movie should be turned into a stage play do the so right thing i googled the phrase do the right thing stage play and it looks like there was some talk back in 2012 yeah and again in 2014 of spike lee bringing do the right thing to broadway i wasn't able to find conclusively whether he did or not yeah. i feel like i would have heard if he had sure but, uh, yeah, I mean, talk about a movie that could very easily be adapted for stage. Right. Do the right thing. It is. Right. And what stinks is, frankly, it should be done in every high school around America, if not even younger, but there's so much swearing in it. They'd have to get rid of a whole lot of swearing if they want to show it to the kids. Well, so I want to talk a little bit more about about the nomination. Yeah. And Dead Poets Society and kids. All right. Especially because um, that's one of the things that uh, that Poets Society deals with, you know, these 
prep kids. Yeah. One of these films is predominantly an all-white cast. Oh, yeah. One of them is a very mixed-color uh, melting pot, like we've sort of discussed. When you go and you look at the crew, again, one of these is a very stark white mm. crew. And one of these is kind of goes back to that melting pot. Yeah. I'm not going to say that Do the Right Thing is better than Dead Post Society. Fair enough. But I... Th- well, it's hard to it's hard to articulate this. I get what you're saying. I don't. I but I think that do the right thing is incredibly important as a film. Um, and the interesting thing is, if even if Dead Poets Society is a better film, yeah. Let's say Dead Poets Society came out a year later. I still don't think Spike Lee wins the Academy Award for for do the right thing. Hmm. My guess is. When Harry Met Sally would have gotten it. Oh, when Harry Met Sally. Um, Hi, Lisa. I, th- I think... A friend I th- of mine was in that. Oh, okay. I think that When Harry Met Sally is probably the greatest romantic comedy, greatest written romantic comedy. It's pretty good. Um, to date, with It Happened One Night as a really close second. All right. Um, and the reason why I don't think it would win is because the film was incredibly divisive. Okay. Amongst critics and people in the country, all of a sudden there was a lot of talk about this movie. It um, had a big buzz at Cannes, and um, there's this talk that Sally Field was was one of the jurors, and she fought really hard for that to be um, an award winner at Cannes. And for do the right thing. For do the right thing. To be an award winner. Yep. And uh, and she had a, she apparently had a really tough fight, a really oh, tough wow. sell, and. When it was released, and because of that, there was a lot of talk about it in the U.S., and there was a lot of, you know, it brought up a lot of things in the media, and people were really, really divided about it, and people saw it as a call for racial disharmony. Interesting. Yeah. A call for racial For racial disharmony. Um, And I think part of that is when you look at Pino saying... We should go back to the, our neighborhood. They don't want us here. They're yeah. animals. Uh-huh. What do they do at the end of the film? They completely tear down this restaurant. They almost kill them. They yeah. almost kill Sal. And they completely destroy his business that he worked so hard to 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 build with his own bare hands. And but Pino's not right. Right. And he's certainly not right calling them animals. But the point is that I I can understand how... People can misconstrue that as being immoral to this. Yeah. And I think that that says more about the writers huh. than it does the movie and and the people reporting that um, and their personal views. I think it says a lot about them. Okay. Richard Corliss wrote a pretty negative review in Time, and he says, quote, Lee cagely provides a litmus test for racial attitudes in 1989, but he does so by destroying the integrity of his characters, black and white. Huh. How do you feel about that? Read it again. Lee cagely provides a litmus test for racial attitudes in 1989, but he does so by destroying the integrity of his characters, black and white. Do you feel like the integrity of the characters is destroyed by the... In a way. Not not the... Let me, let me go on. 
Because I think he misses the point. Sure. It's not a matter of, like, a clear matter of black and white. No pun intended. Um, Because he goes on to say that the film and its characters are contradictory. And that's what he means by destroying the integrity. He doesn't mean that the the inside emotional integrity of these characters and their development was destroyed. He says that the characters are contradictory. And that that's a bad thing. Yeah. That they shouldn't contradict their motives shouldn't contradict themselves throughout the film. And I think that sort of misses the point that um, a we all have mixed feelings about life, right? And what's right and wrong. And b sometimes we do the wrong thing even though our intentions are right. And sometimes we change our mind about things. Yeah. And that's that's real. And he sort of gets on their case for having the characters be fluid. You know, for example, Mookie changes his attitude about what he wants and what he stands up for, what he believes in. And why, you know, I don't understand why there's such a problem with that. Yeah, I'm almost wondering if he might only be, because the only one that really doesn't make sense is Sal. Because Sal goes on and on about how he loves this neighborhood. These, These kids grew up on his food. He's watched them. He's watched the old people get older. He's watched the kids turn into adults. He loves this neighborhood, you know, he's proud of this place, this and that. And then it's like for him to just switch so quickly then when he's about to smash Radio Rahim's boombox and start throwing the N-word around. Well, I don't, I don't I, think it's I almost, quick. I think it's pretty quick. I'll, I'll tell you why I don't think it's quick. There's, there's a clear lack of respect for Sal for, throughout the whole film. True. Sal tells Pino to do something, and Pino t- doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He tells someone else to do it. Yeah. And then when that person doesn't do it, he tells someone else to do it. And he constantly is getting backtalk from his son. Yeah. And they're constantly bickering, and there's constantly this pressure building. And Sal is getting no respect from his own family. Yeah. And then the customers come in, and they don't give him respect. And I think throughout the film, and I'm not justifying his actions. I'm right. saying what I think his character goes through, and I, I, the progression that I saw is that just like the heat bubbling over for other people, the heat bubbles up for Sal in a very different way. And I think throughout the film, he's clinging to, I love this neighborhood because I love this thing that I built. Okay. And I think there are things about the neighborhood that he loves. Initial, like he lets those kids come in at the end. Right. Because, and he tells Pino when they have that conversation and Pino's like, you know, my friends laugh at me. Because I work in this neighborhood and we, you know, we shouldn't be here and it's yeah. not our kind. And he's like, those aren't your friends if they're laughing at you. Do they put food on your table? Do right. they pay for your school? Do they, you know, do they put money in your pocket? And he's telling Pino that it's the people of this neighborhood that do that. It's not, he's not saying I put money and right. food on your table. He's saying the people that you're calling animals. Right. Yes, there are some bad ones and there. And he tells him that. But. Ultimately, there are a lot of people who love Sal's Pizzeria and, right. and love their their people. And he he talks about how I watched their kids. I've watched their kids grow up into adults. And there's something that he's really truly connected to in this city or in yeah. this neighborhood that he loves. That doesn't change the fact that on this day he gets pushed and pushed and pushed by everyone, including his own family. And in that last scene with the radio blaring of fight the power and the song that he, he is driving him nuts all day. Yeah. He's got radio Raheem yelling at him. He's got smiley yelling at him. He has 
um, bugging, bugging out, out, yelling at him. He has all four of the teenagers yelling at him. He has both of his sons yelling and Mookie's yelling. Everybody is yelling in that room. And I think he snaps. I think he loses it in that mm. moment. And I don't think it comes out of nowhere. I, I, I personally feel that we saw the progression of this throughout the day. Yeah. I'm not saying the snap isn't right, but I'm saying like it seems very out of character for him Have you ever to suddenly start throwing the M-word around and decide he's going to smash this thing rather than just rise above it like he's risen above so much else and shut the radio off. I mean, we're talking about something as yeah, simple as I mean, if shutting just, the radio off. I think he just loses that fight in that moment. And, you know, have you ever been to, at, at somebody's house or been at, and seen this happen or been on the receiving end of this where you have a vehement disagreement with someone and they're like, you come into my home hmm. and you argue with me and you tell me that I'm the wrong person in my home? Yeah. Get out of my home. Oh, I've had that argument. That's happening to him throughout the whole film. Yeah. The whole movie. And in this last moment, he's already told this guy, you can't have the music on in here if you're going to be in here. And the guy turned the music off earlier in the film. Now he comes back, not just with the music on, but with the music turned way up and yelling at him and demanding something that he thought was already put to rest. This is my wall. I'll do what I want with it. And so they come into his home. And I think there's, I think there's this territorial, like, oh sure, this, and and with all of the other things that were added into, it. I mean, that's just my take. Um, I I can see kind of what you're saying, all but right. I, you know, even if it was, let's benefit of the doubt. Let's say Sal doesn't make sense. All I right. think I think it does, but let's say it doesn't. Do you feel like the other characters and their motivations don't make sense? No, I think they all make sense. I think Sal is the one that's really that's the only inconsistent right. one. But yeah, I think everything else m- makes perfect sense. So I, I feel, really don't know what he's talking about. So I feel yeah. So I feel like Richard Corliss is kind of out of touch with sort of the point of the film. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe you know, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, here's like this middle aged white guy writing a review that doesn't understand the the film about race relations. But that's kind of you know later on in the in the same review he says, quote. In Hollywood, the black man's burden is to be all things to all people. Stoic Sidney Poitier and sassy Eddie Murphy, angelic sitcom kid and fuming rap master. Hmm. He seems like an incredibly out of touch guy to me. Sounds that way. Um, another writer, Dave Kerr from the Chicago Tribune, called it a piece of political propaganda. Hmm. And he asks us, quote, how is racial violence justified? That's a fair question. But it's but But I feel like that movie shows that, you know, a kind of it's not. But B, we can understand it in that moment there after Radio Raheem's been murdered by the police. Right. So he calls the film dangerous and irresponsible. Unlike Corliss, Kerr complains about having the characters that have contradicting motives at times. But unlike Corliss, he says he wants that type of complexity. All right. So he chastises Lee because Kerr is mad that people 
have seen that Lee has these kind of comp- complex characters and they're lavishing. Some people are lavishing praise yeah. on this going, Oh, look at this original piece of work. And these characters are complex and their motivations are not always clear and it, it's fluid. And he gets mad that people are praising Spike Lee over this. Yeah. Huh? He says it's depressing to see how much credit Lee has been given simply for painting his characters in shades other than purely good and purely evil, as if the gesture reflected anything other than an appreciation for a basic human truth. Huh. We seem to be so accustomed to one-dimensional caricature under these politically charged circumstances that we're astonished and delighted to find anything else. Sad is the day when even a stab at complexity becomes the amazing exception rather than the expected norm. So he gives the film a bad review and he complains that Lee does this thing that he thinks it should be in all film. And it's the exact same thing that Richard Corliss complains about. And I think this is, and the reason I bring these two up, whether you agree or disagree with what they're saying, um, the point is that Spike Lee was damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. You know? And I think people clung to these ideas that they didn't fully understand. Um, and I think they didn't want to see Lee do well. Oh, I wouldn't doubt that for a second. Are you kidding me? We're talking Bush era entertainment industry. Who knows? They probably they probably didn't want to see him do well. Sure. Especially making a movie that really, like, throws issues in our face, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it goes to show that there's, you know, the movie goes to show that there's racial biases all over our country in every neighborhood. And the these reviews, these negative reviews, and sort of the divisiveness over the film um, shows that there's these same biases in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I do think that's changing now. And whether people like Spike Lee or not, uh, I, I have very conflicted feelings about Spike Lee. Um, but Spike Lee and Do the Right Thing had a really direct influence on the change that's happening in, in Hollywood. I think he opened the door for black directors. John Singleton did the amazing film Boys in the Hood. Sure. The Hughes brothers who did Menace to Society. Oh, yeah. Lee Daniels who did Push and The Butler. Push? Yeah, the novel by Sapphire. So set. Wait, push. The movie was Precious. Precious. I'm sorry. The, That's but the where book, I got confused. But the book is push. The book is push. I apologize. The movie's Precious. The movie is I Precious. I got confused. Um, Anton Fuqua, who did Training Day. Oh yeah. Tyler Perry. We're not going to go too much into that, but he definitely he's, opened a door for done Tyler Perry. A lot of movies. Yep. Casey Lemons, who did what I think is the incredibly underrated Caveman's Valentine. Oh, and, yeah. Um, Eve's Bayou. Ava DuVernay. Eve's Bayou. Who did Selma. All right. F. Gary Gray, who I think has a shot at winning an Oscar, this, or at least a, no- a nomination this year for Straight Outta Compton. Nice. But think about all those films that I just said. Yeah. And all those black directors. I chose each one of those films very, very specifically to make a point about racial ideas in Hollywood. And I think there's an assumption about the type of stories black filmmakers make. Hmm. So, listeners, can you name some of the other movies that those directors made? So, we talked about Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, Selma. Yeah. um, The Butler, Ease Bayou, Training Day. I mean, I can name some, but I'm not a listener. Sure. So let's let's mention 
Paperboy. Paperboy, right. Nicole Kidman and Zac Efron. Right. From Hell. Oh, yeah. Johnny Depp. That was, who was that? That was the Hughes Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tears of the Sun. Tears Bruce of Willis. The sun. King Arthur. Wait, who directed King Arthur? Antoine Fuqua? That one was... Oh, the suspense is killing me. Oh, I lost it here. I just oh, lost my man. notes. Sorry about that. What about um, Singleton did the Shaft remake? Yeah, Samuel but Jackson. but the point the point I was trying to make the Italian job yeah. is another really good example. You know, there's an assumption that black filmmakers make black films. Yeah, and that's sort of the what I wanted to address because I don't think people think of you know um, you know Anton Fuqua as doing King Arthur. Right. You know they don't think oh Training Day guy did that. Right. So. Um, I just kind of wanted to to just bring in this idea because the without Spike Lee who who came before all of those people yeah I mean they he really opened a door and I think do the right thing was a big piece of opening that door sure so absolutely race and heat waves yeah, it's funny. The uh, It's really, really hot where we are. It's the hottest day of the year here. And we watched a movie about the hottest day of the year in Brooklyn. Yeah. So Straight out of Compton, open last night. Yeah, that's hot. What's going to happen tonight? Hopefully nothing. Did you see this BS in the news? What's that? About, um, what was it? Something like Regal Cinemas. Ugh. Maybe don't quote me on that. It might not have been Regal Cinemas. But some big movie theater chain um, was like shelling out so many millions of dollars so that movie theaters uh, could hire extra security for straight out of Compton opening night. Like just yeah, like that's, that's, expecting people to pop off. Yeah, that's, mean, just, that's ridiculous. I think it goes back to like racial – I mean – Freaking people got shot in Batman. <laughs> exactly. We about that before. I mean, it's not like Dark Knight Rises. I, with it's not really a a movie that I I think about. You know, people got shot at Trainwreck. Right. Yeah, the Amy Schumer movie. For crying out loud. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I I think it's again this bias against um you know black filmmakers and black casts and um complex difficult stories. Um, that represent a, tr- a true and real um, culture in America yeah. um, and a struggle in America. Huh. So, yeah, so that was Do the Right Thing. I, I hope this uh, this podcast went, o- went okay. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you watched the movie or are about to watch it. Yep. And show it to your kids because I watched this movie as early as 10, there maybe are, even 9. There are... There are, there are some boobs in the movie. There's and there's a lot of swearing. One pair, yeah, which means two boobs. There's a lot of swearing. A lot of swearing. So a couple of N-bombs but, and a lot of F-bombs. A lot. you know what boobs and swearing are? Reality. No, yeah. Look, I don't, I don't have a problem with what you're saying. I'm just letting people letting know. Letting the parents know. Yeah, you know, maybe your eight-year-old. Maybe, maybe. Should not. not 
see the movie. Cover their eyes. I mean, you know your kids. They're hearing the... Yeah, exactly. A, they're already looking, and B, they're already hearing. So they might as well <laughs> see it and hear it with an actual... With, like, a real message attached. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, um, you can tweet at Steve in NoHoWood or at Movie Hippo or at No Lag Gamers. Don't forget to hashtag either Career Opportunities or uh, Breakfast Club. I have definitely seen some Breakfast Club hashtags already. Oh, I have not. Um, they are winning. Breakfast Club is I'm sure Breakfast Club is going to win. Everybody, I love it. The Great John Hughes Battle of 2015 rages on. Uh, and We've got a name now. We do have a name now. We don't have to use that hashtag anymore. We've we are now view the right thing, but I don't care what you say. I'm still pushing for Indiana Jaws. I think I think that one day the revolution on this podcast here is going to happen. I don't know. We'll see. Indiana Jaws. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, so tune in next week for the apartment and yes. Annie Hall and Annie Hall. Thanks for listening. Bon Cinema.